This is Coda Radio, episode 220 for August 29th, 2016. Welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. Oh, you know what? I'll tell you more about those sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week with, I can't believe it, I think he already has an Oktoberfest in his hand, it's Mr. Michael Dominic. Hello, Mike! I am Jack the Pumpkin King. Is it actually an Oktoberfest? No, it's a Sam Adams Oktoberfest. Uh, no, no, it's still summer. It's still August. It's still August. I'm not ready for that. That's okay because summer ale is super crappy. Well, <laughs> that, you know, I'm actually not a summer ale fan. You're right. It's a good yeah, point. Uh, October's good and the winter lager's good, and then it all kind of goes downhill from there. You know, it's funny though because uh, not to make this the weather podcast, but just it, it is a sort of a shift when it starts getting a little colder outside. I start, mm. I start feeling. Um, Less and less guilty for not going outside and staying inside and doing work. <laughs> so that's kind of oh, yeah. nice. <laughs> that's when, that's, and also the crockbot got a little more use, which is, which is pretty good. Uh, you know, we have quite a show lined up ahead of us. Not only do we have some ripe hoopla with, as well as what now appears to be a story arc for one of our recent guests, uh, we also have a follow-up on the weekly challenge. We have some interesting feedback. But a little birdie told me that the folks over at Buccaneer IO are doubling down these days, and it may be the listeners that could be the benefactor. You see what I did there? Tell me about Hell, yeah. Tell me about your day looking for you know just that right hybrid mobile project to feature oh so much so that there are some terms and conditions because you know gotta be but we're willing to do a free effectively documentation discovery phase yeah this has been interesting we've been talking about this uh, and the value of it for a couple of weeks and um i mean i think that's like a thousand dollar value basically yeah it's at the thousand dollar value now the reason because i know our audience is pretty savvy is that we do a lot of subcontracting work, and I need some stuff that's uh, direct client portfolio showable because we're kind of falling behind in that area. So this would be a way to kind of get you in the door, validate your concept for you, see is your app idea really you know worth your time and your money, obviously. Um, really, you know, free, you can't be free, right? There's no. No, really no strings attached. Um, it's just a, a demo of what technologies could be used to build it, and if it's something you like, we can talk about doing it. Or building a POC, and if it's something you don't, well, you saved a thousand dollars. So give them the uh, give them the best way to start that process. Uh, it would be just you can reach out to any of our contact forms or our amazing Facebook ads, which are really an interesting thing. We should cover a different day, um, or you can just email sales at buccaneertech.com. There you go. And so when he says contact forms, he means the ones over on the Buccaneer site. Uh, or sales yeah. at yeah it's and it's buccaneertech.com yeah. buccaneer buccaneer.io buccaneer.io okay so and uh, there you go it's sort of a, it's sort of probably if you're a Coder Radio audience member and you've been kind of curious about this want to see if maybe there's a project idea you've guys been kicking around that could come to life why not take advantage of it because you you know the guy and you know the company right. and uh, you've been kind of hearing us d- kick this around for a while too so it's kind of an interesting continuation. 
of the entire uh, story arc of the discovery process. So cool. There you go. Just a little bit of a little bit of uh, updates right off the top of the show. Before we get into all the hoopla this week, are, are you ready to do the challenge? Are, are you are you ready for the challenge? Ah, uh, yes, the Coda Radio Challenge, Chris Fisher. There you go. You know you wanted it. You can't hurt. You can't. Oh, you can't stop it. Oh, there it is. So the coding challenge turned out pretty interesting. We've seen um, a few um, people that just decided to work directly with Rikai, <laughs> which is just absolutely excellent. And we've seen some submissions that have come in for uh, the 219 coding challenge. Now, I, uh, I posted this just the day ago, so I'm, I apologize that I was kind of late. Um, and uh, it was a challenge to automate the process of podcast production using tools that are pretty much already available on the command line. And the idea is people want to create a uh, a, a high-quality podcast. They want to have really top-notch audio, record both ends of it, stitch it all together, and then publish it. But one of the places they want to publish is is YouTube. But for that type of podcasting process, there's no live video to use. There's no master video that you could just post on YouTube because the process is heavily audio edited. And so you need something to visually show when you upload it to YouTube, so that way the people that choose to consume content, and yes, people choose to consume audio content on YouTube, you have to have something to maybe display. And uh, my full hand of cards was sort of revealed last week when we launched User Error Episode 1. The <sighs> Yes, I know, I know. And that was the secret project. And I'll, I'll play just, the, just a second of it so you can see the visualization that I was talking it about. It just doesn't suit the, the style of desktop that he is used to tell tell me I, t- so you can okay. see here you see i don't know for those of you watching the video version, you can see an audio waveform that matches the speech and also sounds basically like a couple of weeks ago i just decided that i made a mistake i was having a conversation with some and that it, what the process to generate that was using a python script that took the audio input and took a background file and took text input and then generated this waveform on top of it it's a pretty pretty cool process, but it's sort of it was sort of a standalone sort of uh, experiment of the technology that we did, and it allows for content creators to use Linux as a podcasting platform to record really high quality audio using all open source tools. Then they can take that audio file, run it through this script, and have actually something visually interesting to show on YouTube or put out in a video feed for people who consume on their home theater systems, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Or and honestly, video is just more easily shareable than audio podcasts. People don't share links to audio podcasts, but they'll share a YouTube video. They'll tweet a YouTube video. They'll, they'll embed a YouTube video. And so it actually expands the reach of podcasting. It gives podcasters another platform for people to find them. So it's a really nice tool, and it's really cool that it's sort of easiest to do on Linux right now. <clears throat> so we had great submission come in from DMP1CE. I'm going to say... Dimp ice? I don't know, DMP ice? I don't know. He says, I was able to loop and replace the audio track with an audio file using FFM Probe and FFM MPEG. I coded the solution in Haskell. That's great. I love that. <laughs> uh, and he uploaded it to GitHub. To make it easier to run the Haskell script, I created a snap. I had, I had trouble installing Snapcraft on Arch Linux, so I ended up using a Docker container to build the snap. The build could be started with a simple Docker Compose run. And then the, the name. I also have a snap available for download as a torrent here. 
And the program is pretty rigid with inputs and outputs currently, but it should make any video that, that and any audio, it should take any video format and any, uh, any audio format. It always outputs the video as output.mkv. And I, I really love this because uh, Mikey, he hit on uh, using Haskell, which is, come on, that's great. Uh, then he uploaded to GitHub, like we asked, which checks that box. Then, Mike, he went all the way to create a snap. And not only that, but he made a Docker container to do it all. Like, I, I DM, DMP here went above and beyond for the 219 challenge. Like this, we got we got some great submissions, and we already have people that have contributed code, and we would like more. And uh, people could uh, just sort of uh, jump in the. Uh, there's a Jupiter Dev chat room. You can find out more at uh, go to jupitercolony.org or jupiterdev.org. I'm sorry, I don't remember. The, maybe somebody could put the link in the in the chat room. If you want to get involved, we'd love it because we're. It's not just our shows that we're uh, working on this for. We want to help other shows that are friends of the network. And help them all just make streamlined podcast production a lot easier. And uh, this is sort of sort of sort of been great because not only do we get, I think, an outstanding submission by DMP that checks all the boxes, but then we've also gotten real world code that has been contributed by the community too that we've already been able to kind of turn around into a test case and release an episode around. So pretty impressive. So so, so that all sounds amazing. Um, except I have this voice in my head named R. M L S A. Did it's you negative in the freedom yes, dimension? Yes. Did you pervert the weekly challenge? <laughs> <laughs> Is that what, to help you launch a product? Is, Mr. Katie Mr. Katie Perry over here. Mr. Katie Perry. <laughs> I, I use it every day. <laughs> this is my fight song. <laughs> I, have kept, I have contributed to the project by yeah, okay. being annoying, opening issues um, when I want you to. The, the product, the new product, was going to launch one way or another, but it was a fun way to um, to sort of take a challenge and apply it to a real world problem. Yes, uh, the product though would have been would have been launched one way or the other. Uh, oh, of course, so, so, so someone was going to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Jupiter Dev also on irc.geekshed.net is a pound Jupiter Dev for the. Uh, Development uh, chat room and de- uh, jbdev.community. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty awesome. That's awesome work. So do we have a challenge for this week or is it, is it my turn again? Well, I think, you know, I mean, I, I feel like I've probably used up my, my challenge. Oh, your challenge capital? <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. I, would, I would think so. <laughs> Sorry. But you know what? I am damn impressed with the results. So let's call this the Taylor Swift. No, I'm kidding. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I want to take a different tack this week. I like it. I want someone to try, and we're going to go super broad again, uh, because I feel like it was just, you know. Yeah, we did get really down in the weeds, didn't we? <laughs> the last two were kind of rough, right? Oh, and, and use this API for yeah, my Yeah, the, like, yeah, and uh, you know what? Honestly, um, really, thank you, everybody, for not bitching and just rolling with it. And yeah, you know what? We recognize we did go down in the weeds, and I think it's a great idea to, to, to sort of course correct. So I want to open it up a little bit. How about something where you do anything that's interesting and not a ton of work, like maybe mapping pubs or mapping something in React.js. I know I'm vomiting right now saying it. I can feel it kind of coming up. You know that burning you get? crap. Get out of here. I'm down for it. I'm down for it. Or React Native if you're a mobile guy. So let's keep it up. So I think it seems like most people are either web or mobile who listen to the show and participate in the challenge. Yeah. Um, Now... The criteria for the challenge is always the same. I have to be able to deploy it either via a script or a Docker container, right? If it's mobile, I have to be able to just run an Xcode project or, or whatever. 
Like it has to be basically a two-step to one-step deploy. And this isn't Mike being picky so much as Mike just wants to make sure this is scalable and doesn't take too much time so, that, so it's actually Why? sustainable. Exactly. Um, it's got to be available somewhere I can see, preferably GitHub. And it can be anything you want, provided it uses some sort of real-time mapping. Now, it doesn't have to be getting me to the pub. My example, which feel free to steal, is map all the bars that serve craft beer. But I know some people, especially those of you in Colorado, might want to map other things. hey Ooh. Interesting. I like that. And what's the interface to display the results? Anything they want or uh, what? I mean, well, React would be web, right? So oh, okay. React oh, okay. Native would be on a Oh, React. Yeah, yes. React. Yep. Yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. I like it. So um, that is the 220 challenge. We will hopefully get a subreddit post up soon about it. Sometimes we're bad about that yes. because it's once we get done with the show, we're like, okay, <laughs> on to work. <laughs> we just get right to work and we don't even think about it again. Yeah, the email just stacks up as I'm on the air. It's, it's like um, Tetris. I'm like, uh, yeah, man. Oh, man. Yeah. Ooh, I don't want to get into email because it super stresses me out because I'll tell you what. It is that the rest of the world still uses email as a very serious communications platform, which I stopped doing a couple of years ago. So I, just, <laughs> I got email issues. But you know what I don't got issues with? Our friends over at Linux Academy. Go to linuxacademy.com slash coders. If you hear us talking about these different things that sort of spark your interest but you don't know if you have the right knowledge set to take advantage of them or do them, Linux Academy. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. You go there to support the show. It's sort of like checking the box. I said, hey, I heard about them from Coder Radio. Thanks for supporting them and keeping them going. That's where you go, LinuxAcademy.com slash coders, and learn more about their platform. It's, it's absolutely the core technologies around Linux, but also everything built on top of that platform that will make you money. And that's really where the value from Linux Academy comes in because you're going to make money when you learn more stuff. It's hands-on guides, instructor mentoring when you need it, a great community, and learning paths to start you at the very beginning and work yourself through the process. I know specifically when I've been looking at Python and Ruby – being able to go into the Linux Academy dashboard and quantify exactly how much work that is has made it go from something that seemed absolutely impossible to something I could actually achieve. And we uh, just, I just recently talked about this in User Air Episode 1, if you're curious, because um, Mr. Noah has started learning Python, and it's, it's fascinating to hear his journey. And Linux Academy plays a role in that. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. Go there to support the show and learn more about their awesome service. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Coder Radio Program. That's how you say it. By the way, for those of you who didn't know, that's the official pronunciation. The Coder Radio Program, just like that. You kind of say it like you're, like you're an old uh, dog. Like an old bashing hound. Coder Radio Program. Uh, so I, I feel like we would be remiss... Even though we absolutely covered the hell out of it on the Linux Action Show, I feel like it deserves a mention right here because buddy of the show, Ryan, has gotten a job over at System76. Did you hear about this, Mike? Yes, I did. We have a secret Telegram chat room. (laughs) Not so secret now, is it, Mike? (laughs) Well, it's encrypted, so. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So congratulations to him. Uh, Super cool company who I think has some really great stuff in the works. And uh, I don't just say that because they sponsor the Linux Action Show. I say that because... They don't uh, sponsor the show, but they should. They don't. They should. Mm -hmm. This actually would be... Because you know what? Guess who is a great customer of System76 machines? 
Guess who's on them right now? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, you might reach out to that Ryan guy. Maybe he would. <laughs> they should them. Okay, we got to make a list of people that should be sponsoring the show. System seventy six is Jet, on that list. Um, Jet Brains. Jet Brains. Yeah, like, yeah, no. <laughs> so well, anyways, uh, congratulations to Ryan. Um, I have. I I had the sort of speed dating equivalency to working in corporate America because I had so many clients. I would jump to all the – and some of these clients, you guys, I had for many years and some of these clients I had for weeks. And uh, it's it's fascinating to watch some of the things that are the same across all these different institutions, especially hospitals and, and clinics, and some of the things that almost seem like like the typical – prototypical bureaucracy that creates the, 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 all of that. And some of them – some of them genuinely have something unique. And those were always the clients where I was like, wow, if I ever quit, this would be a client that I'd like to come work at full time. And that would happen every few years. Very, very, very rarely would I have like that, boy, if I ever did the full time thing again, this would be the place I think I could make it work at. There's only a few places on that list. And I actually think for me personally, System 76 is one of them. Uh, having gone there, I mean, I've talked to them for a decade on and off. I was literally, I think, their first customer. They're outside their company and outside their friends and family. And uh, I, I have been working with them for a decade. And so I've, I've always kind of had a sense that, I, that they were a pretty great company. But then when I went there, I really, you know, I really had a sense. You know, Mike, there was, there was people there at 8 o'clock at night that were drawing art on the walls just to make it look nice for the fans that were coming the next day. They, weren't, they didn't have to do that. There, you know, there's just all these little things, that the little touches that they all do and the way they, so, so, they support each other. It was a really great culture there. And uh, yeah, no, they're, they're pretty cool. I mean, if you email, yeah, if you email with them with a question, an actual person responds. Yay! Anyways, congratulations to Ryan. And if you know, I think it's the lesson I wanted. I took from that is if if you find that culture that fits you, and it's different for everybody, uh, I, I say jump in, embrace it. So, uh, Mr. Dominic, we have a few things in the hoopla that we could cover, and I don't know if all of them in the list necessarily tickle your fancy. I know that um, the AI monopoly story was one that caught your eye over the weekend, and there's also some some. Pretty unanimous Docker hate going around right now. Yeah, yeah. Do you so wanna... why don't we, yeah, why don't we jump into the AI thing okay. first because I think it's a lot quicker and I don't have a whole lot to say well, unless I think, you do. Well, I kind of disagree with you, so there's that. Okay. Uh, I actually think this is a big deal and I, I think it is different than other markets. So uh, TechCrunch has a piece that talks about why AI c- uh, consolidation will create the worst monopoly in specifically U.S. history. Uh, amid the flurry, they say, of recent uh, tech M&A deals, you would be forgiven for missing a relatively quiet acquisition. Apple bought the Seattle-based firm intelligence startup Turi, I think is how you pronounce it, T-U-R-I, for around $200 million. On its own, Turi's deal wouldn't raise eyebrows, were not for the record amount of M&A uh, in artificial intelligence. What is M&A? I'm missing out on M&A. Mergers and acquisitions. Oh, of course. Um, of course. With uh, with giants like Alphabet, Amazon, Apple, Facebook, and Microsoft leading these transactions, consolidation in the market, of course, is expected. But AI consolidation is happening at a rapid clip at such an early stage where so few companies are really actually established. The biggest losers appear to be everyone but these major companies. There have been six major acquisitions already in 2016. Alphabet's Google is leading the acquisition race, having made over 10 acquisitions for AI or machine learning startups in the past five years, followed by Apple, which has bought three. To make matters worse, most AI startups have been acquired within four years of their first funding round, demonstrating that it's not so much well-developed product that makes these tech giants 
want to buy them, but rather the talent that's uh, at these companies. And I could see this before this market even gets a chance to really become a market. It's totally owned now by these massive platform vendors. Yeah, but how is that different than anything else? Right? Because I mean, the market anything- hasn't really even. It, it, we haven't even we haven't even got a product really yet. We don't really have something. What we have is big companies that are taking advantage of a new technology, but we don't have that that big sort of breakthrough product that it, that it at least bubbles up to the early adopter right. stage. That hasn't happened, and it's it hasn't gotten the chance for. I, I mean, I don't I don't often come on here and be the free market guy, but it hasn't gotten a chance for the free market to take its course. See I, see, I have a totally different perspective. I don't think it's a good thing. I think it's generally a bad thing. Um, but isn't this, you know, in particular Apple and Google, the platform vendors, learning from the mistake they made with the messaging trend? You know, don't wait for these companies to be successful and then have to buy WhatsApp for $19 billion or whatever Facebook paid. Um, buy them when they're in, in their infancy and all the investors will just want a big payout and that was easy within four years. Yeah, right? yeah, okay. Oh, so you think it's not just we didn't we missed the tech trend or the, and the user trend, but it was also we missed a, a time when we had the most leverage. I mean, why, why wouldn't Apple and Google let all these other companies take all this? And Microsoft, by the way, which I love that TechCrunch like fails to mention completely, has been buying AI companies like they're going out of style. In fact, I'm thinking of opening a Seattle corporation that just says like AI something. In you know, name. I can help you with that. I can. I can yeah, help. Just, just to see if they buy it. Like, <laughs> Let's do it. We'll call it. We'll call uh, it. We could call it JBIO or uh, uh, Buccaneer JBIO. I mean, let's just do something. We'll, we'll just do something, and uh, we'll say we have great technology, great tech based on on yeah, on, it, on code. It's, it, it's a little crazy, but if, if you think about it, it's actually totally rational, right? Why not buy them now for a couple million or a couple tens of millions when you're may end up buying them tomorrow for you know a couple billion which is exactly like whatsapp i'm sorry and i still don't get how the whatsapp acquisition makes sense but messaging was hot last year right and facebook hmm. and google and apple still, and all these seems, companies. still seems hot it just seems like it's sort of settled a bit well, I think messaging has actually not become a product in itself. It's become a front end to, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know, exactly. what I call bots and what you might call AI and machine learning. And to, to me, again, this is we talked about this. What was it? Two weeks ago um, with uh, with with Ryan, that it's all in, still, in my opinion, it's they're all ingredients in one cocktail, and it turns out that the exciting stuff is on the back end. The exciting stuff is the the machine. Let's just say, let's call it bots. Let's call it AI, um, but really, it's machine learning, right? Yeah, yeah, and I okay. I mean, you're, I'm kind of coming around to your way of seeing it, especially too. If I just take a little grain of salt and I, I add it to to this whole thing, and I say, you know, let's slow down the hype train about AI and machine learning and deep learning and bots just a bit, and think about what is actually still making money these days. And yeah, okay, it, it doesn't. It still seems like it still see, seems like it's a little. Think, yeah, see, that's where I think you're you're actually though I am slowing down the hype train. I'm still a little hyped up about it because. You know, at the end of the day, you need to get people to give you money somehow. <laughs> and whereas like all this other these free apps that these companies have bought don't make a ton of sense to me. Mm. You know, something that's a bot and it's like, hey, Mike, I know like just let's say I had a bot in Slack. It was like, yo, Mike, uh, it looks like you're getting a lot of hate mail from customers or happy mail from potential customers or whatever. Happy mail either way. Uh, and it's one thirty, and you haven't gone to lunch. Like, you want me just to order you a pizza or, you know. Chinese or and it would know Facebook has this right with Dom although I would never order Domino's pizza but it knows like your favorite 
it order. knows my preferences, right? Like I, I'm using an Android phone until my wonderful Note Seven comes. Ooh, um, really? My, yes, I'm using the 5X still. You know, there, there's no reason Google can't figure out that if I go to lunch at work, if I take a customer, or I go by myself or whatever, I always go to a place called the Poor House. Right. That's that seems to be the hope. I'm I, you know, it, it doesn't. I I am becoming more and more skeptical that it's actually going to play out that way. I think they'll get near. Like I'll tell you one of the things I'm damn impressed by. Uh, Google Maps has noticed the little uh, side roads I like to take because they're just more scenic on my way to work. And uh, it's definitely the least efficient route, or not the least, but it's a less efficient route. And uh, when I now map between work and home, because that's like many of the things that just come up in Android, like in the Now cards or when Google on Tap comes up, um, it takes those side roads into the into the routing for me automatically. I never had to tell it to do it. It certainly never did it when I first moved there because I I'd used it to, to navigate and I stayed to the main roads. And then I sort of expanded out as I learned the side roads and learned where the cool views were and stuff. So it was interesting to then later on see Google sort of silently in the background say, oh, he prefers this. All right, well, we'll just automatically route him that way now. And I never had to ask it. I never had to, like, move any pins around on a map. It just happened automatically. I thought, you know, that's it, actually it super, helpful. Yeah, it is super creepy. Like, you know, there's a Starbucks not far from where I work in my house. Yeah. And... um it never tells me the Starbucks is like as I'm driving by, but it knows the uh, little coffee shop I go to. It's like, oh, you're like four feet from Eagle Coffee. Do you want coffee? Oh yeah, you open now. The other yeah. thing, the other thing I've been finding really interesting is, uh, and I don't know if this is everywhere on Google Maps or my area, or maybe I'm one of the last people to get it. But is when the I green haze around, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, when I search for like a restaurant or anything, uh, even even the freaking. The grocery store. I, I wanted to see what the hours were for the grocery store. And one of the nice things is they've been displaying that in the map search results now for a while. And, they could, and they'll even say, you know, by the time you arrived here, it'd be closed, which is that's a great that's a great feature. But now now they put a bar graph that tells me the busy times for that place, like the most average busy times based, I guess, on other map users arrival. And really and approximately how long people typically spend at that location. And I'm not quite sure why that's valuable. But it's fascinating to see that information about restaurants, about grocery stores, and think about how you could slightly tweak your schedule to match that if you maybe wanted to go grocery shopping when it wasn't as busy, which is exactly what no, I that, did. That, that makes a ton of sense. I did not know that they did that. I, they've, I've, it's just been starting on more and more of the places I search, and I'm kind of out in, no, in the middle of nowhere, so it must. I think it must be rolling out more and more, but... It's an example of where they are applying some of their machine learning in a way that is useful. But at the same time, I have experiences with Google services where I am, I am dumbfounded that with all of the information they have on me, they still screw some of this stuff up. It seems like they're very slowly rolling it out to specific products in very like precise ways. I mean, do we even want to talk about NuGet since we're on the Google thing, or is it just a sure. waste? Of no, time? no, no. I, I've been running it now. Uh, I, I installed. So how it, has it been for you? I installed it while we were wrapping up last week's show. Um, well, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. So here, I'll start with a positive. I left my phone in the car last night, and I got I got it today, and I still had forty six percent battery life. Before Marshmallow and NuGet, that never would have happened. So that's uh, hats off. The the Doze stuff seems to work. However, however, I think it is causing some Bluetooth audio issues for me. I um. Immediately, the day-to-day uh, operation isn't much different. Performance seems 
as good, if not slightly better, on the 6P, which was not my experience when I tested on the 5X. But on the 6P, I would say performance might even be, quote-unquote, snappier. But the battery life improvements are, might be worth the upgrade alone. The downside is, and it's, it does sort of bug me, is that there's something with the way applications interact with NuGet notifications have changed. And Android and notifications are better. They're, they're somewhat more like iOS because you can reply in line to the notification, but they're way sweeter on the lock screen than what iOS 9 has, at least presently. And the difference there is things like Slack and Telegram and, and other applications that maybe wouldn't, weren't notifying me at certain times are now notifying me. And when there's multiple messages, they're not being displayed correctly in the, in the notification preview on the lock screen. So there's a few issues that I think just require developers to update their apps to support the new end notification APIs, perhaps. But I might just be waiting around quite a while for all I know because ain't nobody really in the grand scheme of things running Android N. So that could be a disadvantage. So if so, for example, like muted Telegram threads that were muted in the past now buzz right through and go to my watch and uh, things like that. You know, just just small little things that don't preview quite small right. But yeah. otherwise, yeah. Uh, have you tried it yet? On are you on the? Have you tried on the five X? Uh, you know, I don't even think I've updated yet. I don't know if I've gotten it. I should have gotten it. But. We, um, you know, the quick way to get it, uh, the sort of tricky way, may, might be a long-term bad idea, but the way to get it right now is if you enroll in the Android N beta program. Yeah, I know that. Yeah. You get the final release immediately. Yeah, I didn't do it because it's a production phone. This is actually my carry phone. but Mine too, yeah. I just decided why the hell not. You know, it's so funny because every release of Android, we think, all right, this is the one where they're going to like externalize enough APIs into play services, and it's never true. <laughs> Yeah, uh, so here's here's what I here's what I'm so I'm I'm you know I've been using the six P for a while. I've been, I also have a five X that uh, was on loan for a while, but got but came back to me, and so I've I've been I've been using both. The five X got cracked though, so the six P is my daily driver. And I've taken it on road trips, and I've taken it all over the place. Gotten some amazing photos with it when it when it's still stuff, and um, I, I'm still thinking. I, I just don't. The the value I was hoping this time around the value of Google's external cloud services would be would help enough that like they would help remind me about payments they would help remind me about uh, like uh, they would automatically through, it just the whole Google Now process and integration with the OS seemed feel, felt very appealing to me. However, legitimately, it's completely random what it actually ends up accurately reminding about reminding me about, and I can't rely on it at all. And it it just is sort of a grab bag. And for two weeks, the entire feed was blank for me for some reason. And then it just started populating again. And, and, and it has never been accurate since then. So it's not actually they're – not, they're not actually reading all of the ones where, like, you have a payment due at this time and then displaying it to me, which I guess is to be expected. I can't expect them to get that right, I, I guess. But it kind of felt like if that was a product and was part of the Google Now feature set – I kind of thought it was going to work because they have all my email anyways. Anyways, yeah. there, I was expecting the third-party services around Android, like like even things like uh, Google Fit and and whatnot, to be um, what would really make me want to stay on the platform, but not really. You know, it's weird from a, from a totally development perspective because that's kind of what we're supposed to do here. Um, just joking. I've been working on Android like more than like 80% of my time for the last – feels like five to six months other than that yeah. weird yeah. 60 day vacation I had an enterprise travel land. Um, Android feels, and now I'm working um, 
part-time on an iOS project in Swift, or it's actually a legacy Objective-C project with Swift. Android seems weirdly stable <laughs> only because I have to care about the old devices. So I'm always incentivized just to go with the lowest common denominator and not have the client come back and be like, yo, this crashed on my Samsung or whatever. Yeah, I, I think you know. I think it was over. At, I can't remember. I think it was Android Authority. Perhaps I saw an article that said it turned out that the crazy different screen sizes and resolutions wasn't the fragmentation that we needed to be worried about. The fragmentation, and this is something we've preached. The fragmentation you have to like be API worried about. Fragmentation. Yeah, it's that OS range, and so what everybody does is they develop for the lowest common denominator, which holds the whole platform back, which makes Android apps not quite as um, necessarily competitive Good. as ios counterparts. We're exciting to work on like i the ios project is also a legacy project but it's um you know i i feel more pressure from the platform to modernize it right to write components in swift to resolve deprecations one i apple is far more aggressive about deprecating apis than android is yes a lot yeah of Your course turns yellow <laughs> um where where on one hand that's a I, I think a good thing because it in, kind of incentivizes good behavior where I almost feel like, you know, the way Android is kind of shaken out with this compatibility libraries and all the support libraries, things like that. It's almost become, you know what? I can still write the same kind of code I wrote three years ago, as long as I like import, you know, it's tab bar dot compatibility V seven, right. Instead of V four. <laughs> like, yes, it's really not that different. And because, you know, I do feel like a lot of the Swift stuff on iOS has changed for change's sake. But I don't really... Hmm. I don't feel forward pressure to try new things on Android where I think I do on iOS. And I, and I think it's starting to show, too, if you open up the Google Play Store. Like, Android apps tend to be fairly safe, right? They all kind of... I mean, I want to say they just work, but that's not true. It's harder to support them, but... Hmm. Do you... Do you, do you Maybe at development time, it feels safe, right? The things that always bite you in the ass are like Samsung's colors are different. That's always the thing that's you know. I'll tell you, it, would, it would truly depend on my target. If I want to develop an app to use for inventory management or to mm-hmm. keep track of school attendance, or if I wanted to create my own custom application and distribute it, I think it would be the Android would absolutely feel like the safest bet, not only in knowing how I could control delivery of that, but the fact that we could have a crazy-ass range of devices and it's just going to be working for years. Like, that would be my obvious go-to platform for that kind of solution. Now, if I wanted to make the next best uh, podcasting app, I absolutely think I would prefer to develop for iOS. And I, as a user, am looking at this going, man, if I... If I if I were developing software, I would kind of want to try new things. I, when I'm working on a new project, yeah. I want to try a new thing. And that's what would be attractive just on a, at, a, at a sort of a challenging, fun level about iOS to me. Yeah, I think that's true, right? And as a consultant, the, the Apple treadmill is actually pretty nice because every year and a half, <laughs> you can be like, yo, you need to update your app. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, you might have a problem. That was the old moneymaker about Microsoft when it came to Office right. and Windows is you could usually catch somebody in one of those two cycles and say, oh, it's time to upgrade. Right. So I don't know. I mean, we, we did not have like an Android development discussion plan today, but it, it was weird because just, just the like, okay, I can do this. I mean, you know, obviously people use different libraries. So like coming into new projects, if they're using a library, I don't know that's a problem. But it's not... You know, it's not like, oh, and we're using Swift. Sorry. 
mm-hmm. which although even then I, th- I think that's kind of apple's strength with swift is that it's a new language but the api is the same coco is still coco right so it's really not that different uh, my biggest complaint with Swift, to be honest, would be that app code, the IntelliJ, uh, or rather the JetBrains, uh, Objective-C and Swift editor, the uh, syntax highlighting, not syntax highlighting, rather the auto-completion is mm. not super IntelliSense, that's what I want to call it, mm-hmm. is not nearly as uh, robust as it is in Objective-C. In fact, it's a lot slower. Mm. So I end up having to jump back to Xcode to do that sort of work. Mm. But anyway, we should move on that to, seems our, like to a, our... That seems like a typical apical, a, apical, a typical apical thing. Um, do you want to talk yeah. about the Docker stuff? You know, I, I, I do because I think it leads into like a larger topic, but okay. do we want okay. to save it for the double on Friday? Well, we could, but I, I get, oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. We could, we could, because we do also, by the way, I guess, boy, yeah, we should mention we uh, yeah. are recording another, our next episode on Friday this week because uh, we're going to actually try taking Labor Day off for once ever, ever. So we'll be recording on uh, Friday the 2nd, September the 2nd, at our regular bat time. So go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. We already have the calendar updated. So we should probably – you have in here Move Fast and Cry, which is kind of what I teased out when I tweeted. Let's talk about so let's that. Go, let's, yeah, let's talk about the Docker stuff a little bit. Or, you want to? Yeah. You want to? You think? Okay. All right. I think we should. All right. Then let's do this. Let's take a moment I'll, and then we'll just clear this. We'll clear it out. I'll mention a digital ocean right now because guess what? Everything we're about to talk about, you could probably run on a DigitalOcean droplet. That's one of the great things about DigitalOcean is if you have a spot and you need to spin up some of your own code, something you're working on, DigitalOcean is an ideal destination. LXD containers, also very, very, very new, uh, great solution that runs on Ubuntu 16.04 like a champ are available over at uh, DigitalOcean. They have entire image stacks that you can deploy that has everything ready to go, set up properly towards the industry standards, well-documented with email instructions and documentation sent to you automatically once you spin it up. Go over there and try it out. Just use our promo code CODERDIGITAL. One word, lowercase, you get a $10 credit. DigitalOcean gets your rig spun up in less than 55 seconds. And they have data centers all over the world, in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, Toronto, Germany, and India. The interface is really great, though. It's a really, really well done interface. Even if you're not really a, a, a server person, if you've not really done this before, you're going to get this. You're going to understand how it works. And if you're an expert, you'll really appreciate how they've managed to take some of the advanced, extremely complex concepts and functions for virtual machine management and put it into a web interface like this. And then to top it all off, they have an API that's full featured and just rocks. Tons of good open source code already written around it. So you've got examples you can use or you can just take and run. It's nice. Plus, you combine that with their documentation that's been edited by professionals. It's a serious point for them that makes the platform way, way more valuable. I mean, it is one of these things where you think, geez, they have all these built-in images. And, of course, I could just spin up a a bare Linux machine and build something. But then, like, when you just get an itch and you go search their documentation, they almost always have a piece on how to to do that thing uh, on a DigitalOcean droplet in seconds. It's so cool. Just try it out. Use our promo code CODERDIGITAL. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coda Radio uh, program. That's right, the Coda Radio uh, program. Just use our promo code, Coder Digital. So, okay, let's just, you know what, Mike? I'll make the first part real quick. Uh, so we've seen a series of complaints recently around Docker. Uh, Alan's mm-hmm. been covering some of the security issues. Of course, he sort of prefers an alternative solution. But here, this seems to be actual people using Docker in production now having issues. Docker's not ready for prime time is on DPP's blog. He says that... Uh, the, he set up a 10-node, three-data-center swarm cluster with Docker Engine 1.12. He also tried out 1.2.1 as well. 
Uh, and within 40 hours, the cluster had failed on him. He says with each version, the CLI is in- incompatible with the previous version. He says that's crazy for production software for him. He wants to love Docker, but he's had massive issues. He says, uh, within 40 hours, when his swarm and cluster failed, the swarm lost consensus, and none of the master nodes were able to assert who was the leader, which uh, he says maybe there was some network issues that caused this, but it seems like network issues happen from time to time, and swarm is way too sensitive to network uh, issues, and something bad can happen when something simple comes up. You combine that with version fragility and issues with the CLI, it makes it very hard to use Docker in production. So that's one critique that I think you caught. And then you caught another critique of which is sort of echoing some that I have also seen and read. This is over at linuxtoys.com and it's the sad state of Docker. Oh. So first, I do not think a company should market and promote exciting new features that have not been tested well. Every time Docker makes an announcement, the news spreads like a virus to blogs and news sites all over the globe. When in reality, these things are not ready primetime use. Let's start with the exciting new swarm mode feature. I really wanted it to work as described, but guess what? Everything went wrong. Also, labels and constraints are a neat new Docker feature that lets you schedule containers to run on host with specific characteristics. In theory, when I run a container with a label, it should only run on a host that uses a specified label and fail if the request cannot be fulfilled. But with swarm 1.12, my labels rarely work. And if a Docker node dies, the container will get rescheduled on any random host, completely ignoring my labels. Which, that, as somebody who's ran, you know, systems in production and virtual machines that moved around between hosts, that is no bueno. You could, if you have all of a sudden a workload moving to a machine that you didn't expect that workload to hit, it could make everything else on that machine run like dog crap. And that kind of random f- fragility, as you could put it, uh, is, that is the antithesis of what you want in an enterprise production system. This is not good. And I have felt like Docker has been getting rushed for ages now. Um, starting really a, yes. a, about, it uh, felt like six, seven, eight months before their 1.0 release. Reading, and then their 1.0 release was a, was, a, was a pure, pure label at best. And got rushed into Red Hat Enterprise. And it has been rough ever since. And they are adding crazy big features at such a breakneck pace that it feels like they're sabotaging their brand. Are we witnessing that? You know, I like Docker. I use Docker in production. Mm -hmm. I use Docker in development. But many, if not almost all of these issues are probably true. Um, You know, I don't have much experience with the Swarm stuff, although I've read all this stuff, and it, it does seem like it was rushed. To me, the biggest, most obvious issue is like your CLI breaks depending on the version of Docker. Oh, and Ubuntu's default version, which let's be honest, you're probably running an Ubuntu server, Mm -hmm. is not the current version. And therefore, if you have the current CLI installed, it doesn't work with it. Or there's a high probability that your dev environment won't match your production environment. That seems really crazy given that this is not a 20-year-old project, right? This is a... I mean, is this project even more than, like, three years old yet? I can't remember. Maybe. I don't even think it is three years old, is it? If, if it was, it wasn't really big. Um, You'd think we you know. know. I, I, I do feel... What's that? We talked to him, like, within the first few months of the project, so we should know. <laughs> I just We should know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I almost feel like we need... To, we should re-air that episode. We need to take... 
We really should. I, you know, the, the, the concept of containerized replication, containerized dependencies, deploy that on a generic Nix server, right? Linux, Unix, whatever, BSD. Although if you're on BSD, it doesn't make sense to use Docker, but I've had it. Um, it, it is, is fine. And why is that not enough? <laughs> and, and why are you rushing mm-hmm. so hard to get new features and breaking compatibility? You know, so, so I, so you think it is like a, it's like there's like a market pressure they're responding to. I don't know where that pressure is coming from. I mean, someone in the chat's talking about Tritron. I don't even know what the hell that is. <laughs> I, you know, if, if I'm going to go in and sell someone like a containerization, it's Docker and um, Docker. Yeah, like those are your options. Yeah, it's, it does have the brand recognition. You yeah, know, it has I, the brand recognition. I'll tell yeah. you. I'll tell you. It does seem like Canonical's uh, gamble to create LXD, which is a, a which is a which is a basic, more streamlined container management system that can be plugged into a wider orchestration system, uh, is sort of a lean, mean containerized solution that um, you know uh, Wes from the Linux Unplugged show has been telling me that they've been deploying at his work in in the hundreds. I think he said, or yeah, at least the dozens. No I can't one, remember that. No one wants heterogeneous containerization. Uh, like n- you don't want, or I don't want. Maybe, maybe someone can tell me why this is not a bad thing. But in my mind, the idea of Docker is to sta- or containerization in general is to standardize, right? Yes, and mask away some of those differences between different applications. The la- the literal last thing I want is to have two containerization technologies. Right. That's why I thought it was silly for them to do this. I thought, geez, canonical. Of course, right. you had to go create your own thing. Uh, but that's why I now looking back at this, I think they might. Really, uh, some of the core technologies that are being used are just features in the Linux kernel in the user land. So at, at some level, that is, there is some standardization there at the base level. Uh, and, and then the implementation of the container itself, it seems like that only matters um, when you care about just sort of random drive-by software selection because then maybe you want to have one that's really well supported. But if you're implementing tens, twenty, hundreds, thousands of containers in an enterprise, you just pick one container format and you're pretty much good from there. You know, it, it's funny too because I, I do feel like, you know, I get where they're going. I I get theoretically why they want the swarms. They want Docker to be more than a toy, right? They want it to be, you know, big data, blah, 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 blah. But how about you don't break CLI compatibility for basic shit like standing up a Docker instance. I'm just, you know, I'm mm-hmm. just throwing it out there. Mm-hmm. Like, does it really need to I think, be different? So LXDE, uh, from what I've heard, is kind of neat. The tool set is uh, implemented in Go, which they say is pretty cool. Yeah. It's got a REST API with simple command line, plugs into OpenStack, and uh, Juju, which is pretty nice. Uh, and, of course, it uh, uses AppArmor to sort of do some of the uh, containerization as, as well as user spaces. I don't know. I, I think it's interesting to see this kind of – and also uh, – oh, geez, I'm blanking on – CoreOS. CoreOS has Rocket and, and their own container system too. It seems to be so, – Right. Rocket was the competitor, yep. Yeah, and when I look at this, I go, boy, some of these people in the know might have been looking at with the Docker's direction and going, oh, geez, this is becoming a dumpster fire, which I think it is. I think it's well, becoming it, a know, dumpster it, fire. It, it it seems like there's I see I still think it's a good technology and it makes a lot of sense for a lot of reasons, but I would really like them to not worry about adding new features and clean up what you have. Um, like that swarm functionality makes no sense for anything that I do, and I think 
you know, let's not kid ourselves. Most people are not deploying distributed systems. They're deploying, oh, we have like a Rails app or a Python app. And um, I really don't want to pay someone or I don't want to myself fiddle with servers. So can I just make an image and throw that on a generic yeah. uh, DigitalOcean droplet? That is so beautiful. Like, that is the problem you're solving. Yeah. Let's not get too ahead of ourselves and too like into, oh, but we're a deep technical big data. No, you're not. No one is. Like, most people using Docker are consultants who want to trim time off and therefore be more profitable. Here's where I would draw the line. Uh, I would, if I were Docker, I would work on on containers, verifying images, all that process that they're already starting. You know, they already have such a great lead on, and and not so much focus on the magic technology, the auto swarm stuff, the auto discovery. Let yeah. There are other open source solutions, and there are people that are good at their job that can build those systems themselves. That's what they do is they build systems. So let them build the systems, and you you just implement the core technology and focus on that. And really, things sound like they'd be in a lot better state. I, I only really use Docker as sort of a uh, as as an application consumer like yourself. You know, I've had a, I just had a, ch- a conversation right. with a gentleman on Twitter about Starbound. And he's like, okay, well, you know, I'm going to go look at setting up a Starbound server. And it went from not a possibility for him to, oh, I could do this pretty quickly. There is a, there's a Docker image here and everything looks like it checks out. It looks like it's, it looks like it's being maintained, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, there you go. Right there, it just went from something kind of difficult to do to, bam, here's a Docker container ready to go. Of course, it wasn't. Yeah, and, and you know, uh, Colonel Panic like, has a point, right? Obviously, Docker needs to make money because Docker is actually a corporation, right? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. And a lot of the swarm stuff is for enterprise, for big data. But the problem is if it doesn't work. Oh, man. Then you're not making any money and now you have SLAs and contracts yeah, that's, for this, support. This is really their core problem. The core problem I think they're facing is that containers are a feature. They're not. Well, an, containers are not interesting. They're not a right? product. They're, containers are not a product. Right. They're just a feature of the. That's why Ubuntu builds it in. FreeBSD builds it in. Everybody, it's just built in. It's a feature like sync is a feature of a platform. It's not the main product itself. So Dropbox hustles like an SOB to make everything around Dropbox also the product. That's now what Docker has to do. Docker has to hustle like an SOB to make the entire package a product because containerization itself is a feature that's built into Linux now. That's a real problem. See, I still have some faith, but you know, it, 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 I think it's worth noting that there, there are problems and there is a lot of... Um, Oh, I don't even know what to say, right? Negativity. Is that fair? Negativity in kind of like the blogger space and everything like that? Yeah, sure. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm not at the point where I'm I'm seriously considering alternatives yet. I can tell you that it probably wouldn't be LXD if I was. Yeah. Because I I don't I've I've been into canonical things before and that's usually not the Well, way and to go. also if for what you need is is you need more of the Docker hub type community aspect of it. Docker's clearly don't, the lead there. Don't need it. See that's the thing. Don't need it. Right. I'm totally happy to you know, set it up myself. I don't need to download someone's Docker Hub. I have and I, I like that, but that is not the primary use. Um and, and I think that's the problem, right? Docker is not like making me money. Docker is just letting me be ever so slightly more profitable <laughs> because I don't have to manually install a bunch of shit on someone's server. I can have a, a DO image that's like a doc. This is our default Docker rail setup. Bam, there you go. And as long as we don't upgrade, which we are going to have to for Rails 5, um, but then I'll just make a new one for Rails 5, right? Hmm. Yeah. Docker becomes unstable or it becomes a liability of some kind, then there's going to have to be a change. And I, I don't... 
you know, I, I get like what people like Colonel Panic are saying in the chat. I get that they need to make money, and I get, and I believe me, no one understands more than me that there's money mostly in the enterprise, and not anywhere else. But your basic product can't be, uh, you know, I don't want to say made less stable, but how about don't break the freaking CLI? Seems it seems kind of fair. And you might say, well, we're upgrading, you know, everything else updates, but your product's not that old. I mean. For something that's a deployment technology, I would think a five-year support window would actually be, you know, pretty pretty standard. Not a one or less year support window. Yeah, I, I wonder, yeah. and I hate to project too much, but I wonder if uh, they have too many too many people in the product kitchen and not enough people in the enterprise like tool kitchen. I I, I almost think too much success too easy. Mm. I'd like to hear yeah. the audience's thoughts too. Coderadio.reddit.com would be a great spot to well, leave feedback for two. And to be fair, can I te- can I tease next week? Yeah. Well, you mean Friday? I feel like the <laughs> published probably Friday, on yeah. Monday, but yeah. You know, this was going to be one big topic, but I feel like the Angular uh, community and a lot of this uh, web technology, JavaScript stuff has sort of the same problem, where if you look at Angular 1 and Angular 2 or Ionic 1 and Ionic 2, mm. they are effectively different things mm. <laughs> from, mm. a, yeah. you know, I want to use this. That is an interesting comparison. Yeah. I had to, In fact, I would say it's more extreme on the website, on the on the JavaScript side. All right, so we will pick this. We will pick this particular topic we'll back up, up on Friday, uh, as well as the rest of the damn show. So check it out. Now, uh, we had a really great piece of feedback that came in from Z Spaceman in the subreddit, and I kind of it's really it's more of a it's more of a letter to the community, but it was so well put together. I wanted to highlight it before we got out of here today. He says, "Help me, Coder Radio. You're my only hope." So he's got a plus one right there for a Star Wars reference at the top. Yikes, that's awesome. I'm at a crossroads and looking for a new web framework. I need a matchmaker to help me find one true web framework love. I've been working with Rails for a couple of years now, and I still feel like they're a huge swath that I don't understand. Too much magic for my taste. Projects start to feel like monoliths that should be left alone with Jenga towers of dependencies (laughs) in the gem file. Yeah, yeah. I'm probably uh, just using Rails wrong, but but I'm not DHH, and I never will be. Uh, here's what I'd like to see in a mate. Likes, stability, security, able to deploy on most Unix systems. I'd like there to be some livable pathway for testing, be at least three years old and have some popular deployment somewhere with more than 10,000 active users, and be able to tie in a Postgres SQL. Dislikes. I'm not a fan of Java or anything that has to touch the JVM, having many third-party dependencies, late, night fixing, late nights fixing broken deploys because something works fine in development, but, of course, there was some sort of transporter mix-up on the way to... He's got a picture here. I want to see what this is. Not, oh, that wasn't a transporter mix-up, though. Oh, ouch. That, that wasn't, though. Um, no. And uh, Docker for deploys. I see the appeal, but it is not my cup of tea. That's in the dislike so I, I thought this was pretty great. He's currently looking at Objective-C, Swift on the iOS, Ruby on Rails, jQuery and Vanilla.js on web front ends, played around with Python 2X, considered Sinatra, and currently looking into Perl 5. So he says, feel free to call me picky or fussy and tell me what I really want is more Rails. And uh, it's a shout out to the community. I didn't have a lot to add, but I just thought that was such a great piece and well put, well put to a need of a yeah. web framework matchmaker. <laughs> Yeah, he and I actually ended up having a conversation in uh, direct messages on Twitter. I was going through a similar thing, and I ended up just back at Rails because, you know what, anything can be dependency hell, right? You can have a bunch of great old dependencies. You can have a bunch of, uh, I mean, apparently Python is less painful, which, you know, following that chat the way it went, looks like Python might be the direction he goes in. 
I don't know. I think it's all pretty terrible, but it's all better than it's ever been. Hmm, that's really well put. It's so true. You know, Mr. Dominic, yeah. as we wind down to the end of this week's broadcast, I will uh, tell the folks a little bit about how they can get a hold of the show. First of all, they can go to that subreddit, coderadio.reddit.com. They can go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact. They could also tweet, Mr. Dominic, what's your uh, Twitter handle there? Uh... That's at Dumanuka. Oh, really? Is that new? I just got that, huh? Nice. Good for you. I just got Chris LAS uh, about a year ago. So anyways, at, at Chris LAS, if you want to follow me, at Jupiter Signal for uh, network news, and jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar for our live times. Now, I'm bringing all this up again because, well, like we said earlier in the show, we're going to be recording on Friday this week. I, I, it'll likely, I, I don't know when it'll get published, probably Safe Bet Monday, but it may get published earlier. And uh, if you'd like to join us for that live show, tune in at the same bat time on Friday and uh, join us and we'll pick up the discussion there. Mr. Dominic, is there anything else you'd like to say before we run out of here? Uh, no, just again, reach out to uh, sales at BuccaneerTech.com if yeah. you're interested in getting a cross-platform app. Take advantage of that discovery, which, I mean, that's free. $1,000, that's, that's, that's nuts. That's cool. Crazy Mike's doing a blowout sale. Go over and take advantage of it. So thank you for joining us this week. We'd love to hear your feedback for 220 over at com. And I hope you can join us for Friday for a live show. Why not? We don't normally do the show on Fridays, so pretty cool if you could make it out. We also have RSS feeds if you just want to subscribe to the feed and get it automatically when it comes out. You don't have to worry about when we're doing it, when it gets published. It just hits your podcatcher when it's ready. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you right back here next week. Next week.